Good morning, Grace. You all are like a greeting, just greeting bunch here. I mean, that's just, uh, that's wonderful. It really, uh, it's beautiful to see the interaction, uh, the love of God that's shared, and um, you guess, you're, you're just beautiful. Uh, it's so good to have you here this morning. Uh, God is in this place, and he's been moving, and uh, we're just desiring that he'll continue to move as we share in the word. Uh, just before we get started, I would like to uh, direct your attention um, to the Christmas Eve services that are coming up. So we want to make sure that you know the times, uh, not just for you to attend, so that you can share those times with others. So we'll be having two Christmas Eve services, and they will be at 4 o'clock and at 6 o'clock. The 4 o'clock service will have child care uh, for ages 4 and under, but that will again only be uh, at the 4 o'clock service. Um, there are opportunities to serve uh, through Christmas Eve for both services and, and in between. Uh, so if you would like to be part of the First Impressions team, and that's the team that's going to be greeting people as they come to the Hill, uh, if you're interested in serving in that way, please make sure you stop out at the kiosk and, uh, and sign up to assist there. And um, I really felt uh, in first service, we took time to do this. I think it's, it's so important that we do the scene uh, here. Uh, look around, and you guys are just a beautiful group. I mean, it's just God uh, brings out uh, wonderful crowds every week to Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury to worship him and to grow in him. Um, but on Christmas Eve, uh, there's going to be more than twice as many people in this place for both services. So we'll extend wide in the other chairs, and we have record numbers that attend on Easter and on Christmas Eve. So it's an incredible window of opportunity. So what I'd like us to do is just take a few moments and pray over the service and over this place. So um, just as I lead in prayer, I would encourage you to, to pray over the people that will be sitting in your seat and the seats that are around you. And for those that are on the sides, just to maybe extend a hand uh, to the wings where additional seats will be. And let's lift this, uh, this time together to the Lord. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, God, for your great love. God, we thank you for uh, the life that you have given us through Jesus Christ. As we celebrate the birth of Christ this, uh, this season, God, we desire, Lord, for many to come to know you. God, we lift up these Christmas Eve services, and we pray uh, your anointing on all that happens, even as people are coming up the hill. God, just that they would experience your love and your presence, the life that you so freely offer to all who will believe. So, God, we pray, again, your touch and your covering over these services, over this place. God, within this worship center as well as out as we're praying, uh, Father, for the, those that, are, that will be in the cafes and the lobby area and in Grace Kids. God, that you would just minister to each one, help each one to see the light and to move, if they're in darkness, to move from darkness to light. God, that your life would live in and through them. God, we pray that you would call many to this place and to other places of worship in this area that lift up the name of Jesus, that you would be exalted, that you would be lifted up. And God, we celebrate the gift of life through Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, uh, wave announcement. I do want to draw your attention. Uh, for those that have um, children in, in Grace Kids, uh, you receive a number. It's a call number that if... Um, uh, if there's some assistance needed with your child, the number comes up. For all those that thought that had something to do with a restaurant nearby when those numbers come up, it's not. Um, but my understanding is that the numbers aren't always registering on this side. So if you have a child and grace kids, make sure that you keep in your peripheral vision that right side uh, for the, the number, if, uh, just in case your, uh, your child's number comes up. We appreciate that. So speaking of numbers, nine days till Christmas. Is that... Does that seem possible? I don't know. Um, so nine days till Christmas. So for men in the house, that means it's eight days till you start Christmas shopping. Okay. So um, if anybody's uh, ever been to Walmart the day before Christmas, it's mostly guys. Okay. So 
Now, I do have to give testimony. When I was, when I was single, um, it was just a crazy season. So I, I, I really couldn't help it, and I, I mean that. I was, like, I was busy serving in church and doing a lot of things. So I, I did all my Christmas shopping on Christmas Eve afternoon. And I'm telling you, God anointed the time. It was before internet and all that stuff, and he led me to things, and it was one of the best seasons I ever had, but I never tried it again. So, um, so for those, though, that still have Christmas shopping to do, a few uh, last-minute gift ideas. So we definitely want to help you in this. So uh, I saw that there's now um, uh, an electric blanket for your car that you can plug into a power source, and it heats up a blanket. So I'm just not sure why you need that, okay? Um, <laughs> There's a box of rocks that the selling point is that um, the rocks have names on them. So I'll help you out with that. Go to your backyard and then just <laughs> write names on them. Um, now, this one I thought was really, really cool. Okay, it's um, a pooch selfie accessory for your, for your phone. So it's a little ball that clamps onto the top of your cell phone so that you can get a good selfie with your dog looking right at that ball. I'm just thinking, you know, the picture is going to be this dog leaping after the ball to destroy your phone. You know, it just, I don't know, I don't get it. But then there's a, um, I don't know if you've seen them now, so the bottoms of socks are now billboards, okay? So they have the words that are written on the bottoms of socks, and um, the one says, if you can read this, don't bother me, I'm watching Hallmark movies, okay? So um, let that not be said of me. Um, <laughs> please don't get me that gift. But um, <laughs> even though it may be true, okay, so... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, my wife says, like, how do you know that's going to happen? It's, well, it's a Hallmark movie. You just know that's going to happen. But, um, but I do want to warn you about last-minute shopping. Okay, I just ordered some gifts. It was December 13th. It said prime shipping, you know, two-day delivery. Expected delivery December 27th. <laughs> I kid you not. But, um, but it was, the gift was for me. So it, didn't, it doesn't really matter. I know it's coming. Um, but just beware of, uh, of those last-minute shopping things. So... But in the midst of all the giving of gifts, the receiving of gifts, the focus on gifts, the most important thing is that we keep the central gift the central gift, that we, that we don't neglect in any way the gift of Jesus Christ. And you know what? It takes, it takes intentionality because in the midst of all the schedule and, and the hustle and bustle, we can let him get lost. And so I just want to encourage you to, um, to make sure that you're keeping Again, the gift of Jesus as the central gift of your celebration of Christmas this year. So we're, we're in this Advent season. We're in the third week of Advent. And at, the word Advent comes from the Latin word that means coming. So it's a, it's a celebration of the coming of Jesus. There's actually two parts to it. And to be honest with you, I've typically um, defaulted more to the first part of, of Advent. And that's the celebration and the remembrance of Jesus Christ coming to earth as a baby. And that certainly is part of Advent. But the other part that is also part of Advent is the anticipation of his second coming. And that's been mentioned, I know, like in, it's, it's been mentioned the last couple of weeks, I know that, but I really wanted to take just a few moments to, uh, to address this. I was in a meeting of Partners for Transformation the other week, and our brother Jeff Slemp, who's pastor over at Grace Church on Plank Road, said that, um, said that they're doing, the, the focus of their Advent series this year is, is the anticipation of Jesus' coming. And literally, as we were talking about, I shared with the guys, it's like I, I just confessed that, um, you know, I don't long for his, his second coming the way that I should. And it was bothering me, and I was wrestling with it, uh, because it's like I, I'm, I'm celebrating his life now, and I love his life that is living in me now. But yet, I don't long enough for that second coming. So, so I would just 
just encourage us, I want to challenge us to look toward as we look back and celebrate the coming of Jesus as a baby, his coming to earth, which is key to all of history because it's through that gift that we have eternal life. As we're doing that and we're celebrating and remembering, may we also, we must look forward in anticipation for, to his second coming because it's real. Scripture says, Hebrews 9, 28, so Jesus was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So, I mean, we are called to look forward to his appearing and to long for that. In Titus chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 11 through 14. Listen to what Titus says in this letter. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are, that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So, you know, we're called to receive the grace of God, the gift of God, as is given through Jesus Christ. We're also to look forward to the glory of his appearing. Where we desire to glorify him now, he will appear in glory and all the world will see him. And he is coming to make all that is broken, to fix it, to make it right. And it is forevermore. It's an eternal redemption, an eternal healing of what is broken. So I want to encourage you just to, again, be looking back to that gift of grace that's mentioned in 13, but also be looking forward to the glory of Christ that will be revealed. And as I saw these words, grace and glory, you realize that they're, they're nested right in to our mission and vision statement. So would you say with, with me what we are called to do? We are called by God to bring them in, to build them up, and send them out by his grace and for his glory. So, I mean, it is the work of Christ that we are constantly focused on and we are yielding ourselves to and, and seeking to walk in obedience to, to his call. So, as I was wrestling with this, I, I'm still trying to, to understand so that I can grow in this idea of focusing more on anticipating his coming. You know, there's something in the early church that there was an urgency that they believed that Jesus Christ, they had seen him ascend to heaven. And the angel said that in the same way that you've seen him go, he will return. And there was that expectation that was in the disciples that drove them in, in their ministry and reaching out because he could come today. That was the realization. But see, the thing is, 2,000 years have passed, and it's easy for us to say, well, he hasn't come yet, you know? But the reality is, is that his coming is closer now than it's ever been. And we need to live with this expectation. But I realize with me, some of my logic, and, and I think there's some merit to it, is that I know that in all of eternity, this block of time called my life is the only window I have on this planet. And in that window, I have the opportunity to allow God to transform me, to grow me more and more into his image. And it's the only window I have to impact other lives, others' lives for the kingdom. It's the only chance that, that I have to reach out and to, and to share the love of Christ so that they can come to know him and have their eternity uh, in the presence of God forever. But the thing is, is that what I realized as I've been processing this is that I don't want to defend that. Those things are all true. But yet, the thing is, is that I can be focused on what I can do for him more than focusing on just being with him and loving him and adoring him. And God wants to draw us to this place more and more where that relationship and being with him is our greatest longing in life. You know, the instruction that we have in scripture is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then second, 
the country is to love others as yourself. But we're called to love him supremely. And I believe that, that God wants to stir. I know in my heart, I'm feeling convicted. God wants to stir me more and more in this love for him. So that as I love him more, I'm actually going to be more effective. But yet I want to grow in this love for him to the place where I long for his appearing. Where, because scripture even says that, that as we do that, we, we, pu- we are purified as we long for his second coming. So in Advent, let's make sure that, we're, that we are looking back. Let's make sure that we're celebrating, that we're remembering the coming of Christ to earth. But let's make sure also that we're looking in anticipation to the second coming of Jesus Christ for his church. Are you with me on that? I know. I, I just, again, I hope that, um, that maybe God will speak through what I've been convicted of and maybe uh, stir something in you. So the thing is, though, is that so many times, like even in, in this issue, so many times I see something in my life and, and, and I know that God's speaking to me, he's convicting me, and I want to see radical change. I want to see a big change. And, and, you know, there are times that God does that in our lives. And I can give testimony to, to moments where literally God did this change and it was abs- absolutely miraculous. But the thing is, is that I want us to make sure that we don't miss the value of the small changes that lead to a huge difference. Okay, so um, Pastor Jeff often uses the, the analogy of an airplane, but I'm going to uh, just use the analogy of a walk. Okay, so uh, I'm facing almost exactly str- straight ahead, straight forward, okay? And I'm pointing in that direction, and if I walk, that's going to lead me to a, in a certain line to a certain destination. Okay, now if I shift just slightly, did you see the move? Okay, some people... depending on where you're sitting, you may or may not have seen the move. There's a very little difference, but if I walk in that direction, by the time I hit East Forest Avenue, that difference is going to continue to grow. Instead of just a small shift, I'm going to be feet away from where I was. As I continue to walk, in just a little while, I'll be in a far different place than what it would have been at first. Okay, does that make sense? So it's a little bit of a shift that sometimes we can downplay, but it's that little shift that little change that can make a huge difference. And, and I just want to encourage you to be looking for those little shifts that God may be speaking to your heart today. And don't minimize them. Don't downplay them. Don't, don't say that it's not going to make any difference. It does. You know, as we make a shift, again, it will, it will lead to a different place and to a different path. Um, and miss those little shifts. Sometimes God just does it. That's beautiful. It's the power of God. But let's, let's not downplay, again, the small change that can make a huge difference. So we're in this series, and the series is called Hope Has a Name, and his name is Jesus. We know that. And this foundational uh, passage that that we're looking at is from Isaiah chapter 9. So um, it's founded, though, in, in hope, in a confident assurance of what is ahead, that of what is before us. And, you know, I, I know for me, I've shared this before, but many years ago, I was, I was in a place where I was, I was just stuck and I was frustrated. I, I was doing everything that I could that, that I felt God was leading me to, but yet it felt like I was hitting a wall and I wasn't moving forward. And I'll just never forget the conversation. It was late at night. I was in the garage because my family, family was in bed. I didn't want to disturb them. So I was talking to him on the phone and, and, um, and I was just sharing with him where I was at. And my brother-in-law just simply said this. He said, Mark, the issue is you've lost hope. And literally, like, when he said it, it's like, wow, I didn't realize that. I I had lost hope. And as soon as he identified the issue, it's like something began to stir in in me, and I knew what I needed. I needed hope. And, you know, for many of us in this season, you know, Christmas can be a very difficult time of year. I mean, it is is a time of celebration. It's a time of many times family getting together. But for a lot of us, um, it's a time of a lot of pain. 
relationships aren't the way they should be. People that had been here aren't here. You know, uh, situations of life maybe don't allow us to celebrate the way others may be celebrating. And, and sometimes when we see the joy in everybody else, it makes our own feelings so much worse. It's in the midst of, midst of this season, wherever you're at, that God is saying there's hope. And hope has a name. God's desiring for us to reach out and to embrace the hope that can only come through him. So I'm just going to ask that, that we would um, just quiet ourselves before him. And, you know, you may have come in here confident that you knew what you needed from God today. You may not really realize it, what you need. But yet God knows what you need. God knows what I need. So could we just uh, bow our hearts before him and just ask for him to, uh, to minister to us in the way that he desires. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your great love for us. God, we thank you that you're here, Emmanuel, God, with us. And God, I just uh, lift us together before you, for those that are here in this worship center and those that are in the cafe and, and those that will be listening online later. God, I ask that you would help each one of us to receive from you, God, what you desire to give to us. God, you are good, and we're so thankful for your goodness, and uh, we need you. So God, would you please uh, speak to our hearts, give us ears to hear you. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see you and give us hearts to receive, Lord, that which we need. God, we pray that you would speak hope into every one of our lives, Lord, that we would leave encouraged, confident in who you are and who we are in you. Thank you so much, Lord, for your word. God, speak through your word. Uh, may, by the power of your Holy Spirit, may we be changed and transformed for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn uh, with me. We're going to be reading from Isaiah chapter 9. I'm not going to be uh, posting all this on the screen. We're going to be reading it from Isaiah chapter 9, the first seven verses. And this has been the foundational text uh, that we've been looking at uh, through this Advent season. Isaiah 9, beginning with verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in darkness. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This prophecy that Isaiah wrote was given to him by the Holy Spirit 700 years, approximately 700 years before Jesus was born. And it declares in verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And this prophecy is quoted in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus began his public ministry. And it clearly connects this prophecy to Jesus that these verses are speaking of the coming of Christ to the world. 
And it's in light, in the light of Jesus, the light of the world, that, that we see light being exposed to us and shown to us that help reveal a greater fullness and understanding of God. So the key verse that, that we've been uh, embracing through this time is Isaiah chapter, chapter 9, verse 6. And I have it uh, broken up into two parts. So I want to look at verse, uh, or the first part of that verse. And it says this, To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Now I want to ask you, I have the word us underlined. Who is the us? Seemed too obvious, didn't it? <laughs> the us is us, right? Okay. Um, so, so the us is actually, and it's not just us, this gift is for all mankind. So the, the, the one, the, those to whom the child is born, those to whom the son is given, is all of mankind. Okay. This gift of God is for all people who have ever lived and ever will live. The gift is given to us. But what I like is, so we need to look at that wholeness of it. You know, that it is us who are here. It is us who are the, are the world. And it's you. So what I want us to do is to read these first two lines. And, where, and we're going to read it aloud together. And where it says us, I want you to say this out loud. Where it says us, I want you to say your first name. Okay? So, again, we're going to read these first two lines. And where it says us, just fill in your name. Okay? We're ready? For two... A child is born to a son is given. Okay, now, did everybody hear all those names? <laughs> okay, it's, it seemed a little confusing because we're all saying different names, right? Well, some of you have the same name, but, but I mean, it's, <laughs> any marks? Okay, so I didn't say my name. Okay. <laughs> um, but the thing is, is that it's important that we put us in that, that we see that it is unto us, it's unto me that a child is born. It's unto me a son is given, and I'm part of the us. So could we say it again? We're actually going to read down through all four lines this time, but again, where it says us, I would like you to speak your name. We ready? For to a child is born, to a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. So it's Jesus that is coming for us individually. He's coming for us as his created beings, as, as, as people who have been created in the image of God. This gift, this child, is for us. And then the scripture goes on, it says this, and this is describing this, this child and this son, who is Jesus. And his name, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Would you say that with me? And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. This is, although his name is Jesus, when we, when we put up the title, it's Hope Has a Name, his name is Jesus, and his name is Wonderful Counselor. His name is Mighty, Mighty God. His name is Everlasting Father. His name is Prince of Peace, and we have many other names. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. But these names are all meant to help us to understand more of who he is, to reveal the character and the person of Jesus Christ to us. And when you look at, this, uh, at these four names that are given, it's really amazing because we see names that tend to point to, uh, to specific persons of the Trinity. Okay, so the Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Okay, there's three persons, three and yet one. So when we look at this, Father today, everlasting Father, clearly points to the person of, of, the, of the Father. Son, Prince of Peace. 
um, Holy Spirit, wonderful counselor, and then mighty God as the Godhead. So you see within, um, within these names that are given, they're all names given to Jesus, we have the Trinity that's represented. And well, why is that? Because we're talking about Jesus, right? Well, we, it's, it is that way because God is one. Okay, that the Trinity, although three persons, and a lot of times we think of those persons as having uh, unique roles, there are three persons, and yet they're one. And we're going to unpack that a little bit more specifically how it relates to, uh, to Jesus and to the Father. But, but the Trinity, sometimes it's called the divine dance, the interaction of the three persons of the Trinity. There's constant interaction of, of the three persons of the Trinity, constant interaction of giving to one another and receiving from one another. It's this, this constant um, just mutual uh, edification. It's this mutual harmony that's existing between the three persons of the Trinity so that although they are unique persons, they are so together, functioning as one, that the traits and the characteristics that are one person of the Trinity are seen through the others. Okay, does that make sense? So, so we're looking at the three persons, but then all these, remember, this power prophecy, all these names are names given to Jesus, to this one, this child that is born, the son that is given. So, uh, so I want us to, to be looking specifically, specifically at, at this as we're looking at Everlasting Father today because the way that we see Jesus, the way that we perceive God, causes us to respond different ways. If we see God in one way, we're going to respond accordingly. If we see him in another way, we're going to respond accordingly. And God is desiring for us to see him in, in a fresh way. Maybe it's going to be a new way for you. Maybe it's going to be a way that's reinforced that you had seen before. But, it, but God's bringing it to the surface again. But it's our perception, how we see God, that determines our response. So, again, um, God is one. And he is speaking to us through this passage of his oneness and of his goodness. Now, as we're looking at Everlasting Father today, um, we need to acknowledge that the title Father can be a very, very difficult thing for many of us. That it's, um, many have father wounds that are here in this place. And what that can mean is that uh, based upon your interaction with your earthly father, or your lack of interaction, or his presence, or his absence, um, there can be pain that's in our lives, and that can be very uh, deep-rooted within us. Um, there was a, a couple years ago, I'd read a passage from a book called Who's, Who's Your Daddy Now? Uh, Doug Stringer shared a letter of an 18-year-old girl that wrote, and basically she said, you know, for God to pick the term father to describe himself is the worst term he could have used. But it was because of her experience of what father was to her, and it was painful. And sometimes, again, that can be uh, because of the way um, a father can treat a child, because of the absence of a father, because of the unknown of who is father. But God wants to redeem father. God wants to buy back what, what this term has, has come to mean for many. And he wants to, to take what is found missing or what is found hurtful in father and bring healing. And on the other side of the coin, there's also fathers that are, there are many fathers that are excellent fathers. There are many fathers that in their fatherhood, they're showing the nature of God. They're showing the character of God. They're revealing God and pointing to God and what, what they do. Are they perfect? No, none are perfect. But there are many good fathers, many good fathers that are here. And for those that, that have had a good father experience and that term father isn't painful for you, I, I want to encourage you to receive what you've seen that's good in father and allow it to point you to the best father. 
allow it to point you to everlasting Father. And again, we want to be, be sensitive to, again, what Father may mean for you. But we want to engender hope. We want to speak hope into everyone about the everlasting Father that is in Jesus. So I'd like us to just pray once again and, and just um, specifically lift this before God. God, we thank you that you are Father. That Jesus, when you taught your disciples to pray, you began with our Father. So God, we thank you that you are perfect Father, that there is none like you, that you are a Father that we can trust. You are a Father that loves perfectly. You are a Father who is always present. You are a Father who is good beyond what we can comprehend. So God, I pray for those of us that struggle with that term and with the idea of Father. God, we pray for healing. We pray for redemption. We pray for a buying back. God, that you would, um, would even use, Lord, the difficulties of life to help draw and point to you. And God, for those that have had a good example and for those that are even being good father, Lord, we pray that, that there would be the stirring within the heart to discover in a deeper way you who are the perfect father. God, we just pray your covering, your healing. God, I thank you that you're able to heal deep wounds. You are able to restore. You are able to redeem, to buy back. We just ask that you would do that, even in this time together, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, Psalm uh, 68 says that he is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. You know, and, and the body of Christ, the family of God, is formed in such a way that he is desiring for us to experience everlasting father uh, in just absolutely incredible incredible healing ways. So we've, we're looking to, um, to again, the, the names that have been given here in, uh, in verse 6. In the past two weeks, um, we've looked at Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God. And in Wonderful Counselor, we saw, as Pastor Jeff used the life of Joseph in the Christmas narrative, and he talked about how in, in times of disappointment and confusion, um, in times of, of even despair, that that this mighty or this wonderful counselor comes alongside and he encourages he comforts he guides and he lifts and and that is part of the revelation of jesus in in these names is that he is wonderful counselor last week alex shared uh, from the the mighty god title that is given to jesus and he looked at the shepherds and in the shepherds he uh he talked about how they were filled with awe and wonder and as they responded to the greatness of god that was revealed uh, they, the fear was driven out. They found salvation in God. And then they were, they were carried on to walk in obedience. So today, as we're looking at, um, at Everlasting Father, um, I was challenged because we were, we were encouraged again to, uh, to take a character from the narrative. And, you know, there are actually over 40 fathers that are listed in Matthew chapter 1. When it gives gene, Jesus' genealogy, we have Joseph that was already used as, as far as a father uh, as an illustration in, in the series. And then we have Zechariah, an incredible father that God worked powerfully through in the birth of John the Baptist. But the one that I was drawn to, and I was given permission to use for this character uh, sketch for Advent, was Jesus. And, and it seems kind of different, and it was challenging to me, because, but I felt drawn. It's like, we need to look at Jesus to, to understand this everlasting father better. And, and that's what I was drawn to, and as we were sharing about it, you know, Jesus is the center of every message that we preach here. We, that, we never, that will never change. Jesus is central to all, and he is preached and declared every time that we share in his word. But I want to look at Jesus because th there's this incredible revelation 
that I believe God wants, wants us to have as we look at the Christmas story, we look at Jesus, and we see everlasting Father. So the verse, Luke, Luke chapter 2, verse 7 says this, And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, or cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there were no place for them in the end. So when we look at that, do we see everlasting Father? I want to read that again. She gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no, no place for them in the end. And what, we wanted, what I'm encouraging us to do is to literally kind of peek over the edge of the manger and look in and see this infant Christ child and see everlasting Father. God wants to reveal himself through this baby, this baby named Jesus. And in John chapter 14, Jesus, this is uh, toward the end of his, uh, of his ministry um, here, just before he went to the, to the cross, he was speaking to the disciples. There was a question to answer, ask, and Jesus answered, uh, John 14, verse 9. And Jesus answered and said, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time? Listen to this. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in, or, yeah, rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. So the, this is the adult Jesus speaking this. Earlier he had said in John chapter 10, he said, I and the Father are one. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says this, and he, Jesus, is the radiance of, of God's glory, the exact representation of his nature, uh, and he upholds all things by the power of his word. So there's no restrictions on the age of Jesus revealing the Father, right? Because think about that. If he and the Father are one, it's not that he was just the f one with the Father in his adult ministry. He was one with the Father at, at birth. It's not that he was just revealing the Father in his adult ministry. He was revealing the Father, everlasting Father at birth. And I believe that there's some unique things that we can discover as we look at Christ in the manger and we look to see the revelation of everlasting Father. So what can be seen of everlasting Father in Jesus as an infant is clearly seen throughout his life and it's throughout all eternity because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we're going to be looking at three things, three aspects. There are many more, I'm sure. But three aspects of everlasting Father that are revealed through the infant Jesus. The first one that we want to look at is this, that everlasting Father is a humble Father. That when we peer over the edge of the manger and we look in and we see this baby wrapped in swaddling cloth, we see that everlasting Father is a humble Father. Now, what does that mean? means that he lowered himself and any analogy that we could possibly make and, and I mean I, I heard this I think as a as a child even that if you could imagine a person who owned an ant farm setting aside his life as a human and going down and becoming an ant um, you know that that whatever analogy we would use would fall short of the humility that's displayed in God the creator of the universe and this is Jesus through whom the word spoken worlds came into being Okay, this is Jesus who was central in all of creation, leaving heaven and coming down and becoming an infant. But not only that, let's back up. Okay, the infant didn't just appear. Remember, we heard the story, Mary conceived. That means that God of all creation 
actually became a fertilized egg within the womb of Mary. That God of all creation humbled himself, went through the embryonic stage, through the second trimester, through the third trimester, and then entered this world in that painful way that all babies enter. This is God, how God humbled himself, and he came down to where we are. So when we look at this infant Jesus in the manger, we are seeing everlasting father as a humble father. It's revealing that aspect of his, of his character. And this just as I thought about it, just the process of, of his growth, that he allowed himself to go through the normal development of a child and into adolescence and into adulthood. That means that Jesus, who later would cause lame men to walk, had to learn how to walk himself. He who would heal those that were mute and couldn't speak had to learn to speak words. I mean, think of the humility that is displayed in God coming to earth as an infant. It's staggering that he would go through this to come to where we are. And when we think about humility, humility is this, and I know it can be defined in many ways, but it's setting self aside for the sake of others. It's coming to the place where we're not lifting self above others. But if anybody has the, the right, has the authority to do that, it would be God, right? And he does. He has the right. He could exalt himself. He is better. He is over all. But yet he humbled himself. He brought himself to our level. And he's revealing this character and this aspect of God. In contrast to humility, we have pride. What he is not doing is he's not being proudful. Scripture even says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You know, so he's not coming in a way that is going to exalt himself. He's not coming in a way that's going to puff himself or lift him up above others. But you think about it, he's coming as an infant wrapped in swaddling cloth. He enters in the most humble way possible, and he leaves life in the most humble way possible. And that he dies on the cross. This humility is something that is displayed throughout the entirety of his life. But that birth as an infant and that crucifixion um, as an adult or the bookends on the life of humility but it's a humility that's existed ever since before time because it's the character of God it's a, it's a humility in God that will exist forever because he is the same yesterday today and forever everlasting father is a humble father but see Satan is opposed to God and Satan is proud in that he lifts up and what he does in his pride he tells lies and those lies lead to destruction he's the father of lies and he is un, uh, constantly in opposition to God. And he's trying to distort things. He's trying to feed into that pride that is naturally in us. And as he's doing that, he's raising himself up. But guess how God powers up against pride? With humility. You know, he could take Satan out at any time. God is, is powerful enough that he could, he could, again, just in this instant, make all things right. But yet he wants us to understand that he is humble that he comes in humility. And as he comes in humility, we are called to come in humility as well. Jesus, in his adult ministry, called little children to himself. And he said, unless you become as one of these, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. The humility that Jesus displayed is humility that he is calling to be in our lives. I have to tell you that this is one of the ways that God is constantly speaking to me and convicting me. That in interactions, just in daily life. There's so many times we, we, have, we have to work through things, right? I mean, not just externally, but in our minds and our thinking, how we perceive things. And so many times it's easy in, in a situation to, for us to rise up and to place ourselves above another person, even just in our thoughts or in our attitudes. 
So many times God's saying to me, and literally, I almost hear his voice saying, Mark, is that what I've shown you and how I've treated you? Is that how I respond to you in a similar situation? It's constantly drawing me to this self, uh, to this place where I see myself um, in light of his humility, and it leads me to humility. So as we peek over the edge of the manger, as we look at this infant Jesus, may we look and see an everlasting father who is a humble father. Help us to see that God, and as we see him as a humble father, I trust that we'll hear the call to be humble even as he is humble. The second thing that we see is that everlasting father is a holy father. Everlasting father is a holy father. Now when we look at in the in this manger again, we're seeing holiness because holiness is, is that which is set apart and absolutely pure. And there are only, I believe, two pure births, absolutely, absolutely two holy births that, that, that are present ever in, in human history. And Jesus, is, Jesus is, is the first because Adam was formed from the dust of the earth. This was before the fall, so there was no sin. But he was formed from the dust of the earth. Eve was formed from his side. But there's no account that they were born. But then they fell, so that every baby that has been born up until Jesus and, up, and since Jesus has been born into a fallen state. We're under the curse. So even though a, a little baby seems so in, innocent, each one of us and every baby that's born is born into sin because of the fall. It's not anything that we've done wrong, but give us time, we would have. And I, don't, don't, don't point at Adam and Eve because if it was you, yeah, we, we would have all done it. So, so don't blame them. Because there's that tendency, in a sense, that pride, and it's this response to Satan's lies that, that, that we can fall prey to. But Jesus was the one holy birth, that, he, that when he was born, there was absolutely no sin in him because he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And when we see the holiness in Jesus, we're seeing one who is set apart that is absolutely pure. And there are two, two accounts in Scripture that, that help us to understand the holiness of God. In uh, Isaiah chapter 6 and in Revelation chapter 4, we see pictures of the throne. And, and around that throne are those that are calling out, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isaiah chapter 6, you, you see the, the seraphims around the throne as Isaiah is seeing this and he's giving the account. And, he, and he's hearing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Who, and and it's, it's saying the whole earth is filled with his glory. And at the sound of this, the, the doorposts shake. I mean, it is just the holiness of God. He is so pure. He is without, without spot or blemish. In Revelation chapter 4, it's similar. This, the, the four living creatures around the throne are constantly day and night, night and day, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is, is, is to come. It's this holiness, and it's in Jesus. He is holy. Everlasting Father, right there, is holy Father, as seen in the manger. But the thing is, is that is that, again, as I said earlier, we're not born into that. Okay, so there's this saying that, that, that you maybe heard, maybe used, that, that um, everybody's children of God, you know, all, that all people are children of God. And there's a, a, a fine measure where, where there's some truth in that, but we need to be careful because there's a lot where that's not true. So to say that all people are children of God is true in that our heritage, our physical heritage, trace, traces back to God. Because even as Jesus' genealogy goes back to, to Adam, and then it says that Adam, son of God, we are all created in the image of God. Our roots come from God. He is our father in that way. So all are children of God from, from, a, from a natural physical creation. But the reality is, is that we are not all children of God because we are born into sin. Is that we, unfortunately, I hate to say this, but we're literally children of Satan when we come to the world. 
Now, I know that that may sound bad, and I'll, I'll be glad to talk, talk some scripture with you and show you that, that this is, it's the reality is that we're born into sin. And when we're, even the religious leaders, they were claiming our father's Abraham, our father, father's God. And Jesus said, no, your father's Satan. He's the father of lies. And, and, that, and that, that's who is your father. But that leads to the second holy birth. And this is, the, this is cool, okay? The second holy birth is us. All who have believed on Jesus and, and accepted his work, it's rebirth. It's not that, that we were born into it. We were born into sin. But through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, his, him paying the penalty for our sin, and us accepting by faith this grace that is freely given to us, we step into holy birth. And when God looks at us, he sees his righteousness. It's absolutely incredible. But everlasting father is a holy father. As we peek over the edge of the manger and we look at this infant baby, see that everlasting father is holy father. As we look at holy father, may we then be holy as he is holy. May we then put on his life because I cannot be holy in and of myself. It's only through Jesus Christ. Does it mean I grow in righteous living and righteousness? Absolutely, it should be. That's called sanctification. But I made holy. His holiness is in, imputed to me and to you as you trust in him. And that leads to our third point of what we see in, as everlasting father in Jesus Christ. Everlasting father is a trusting father. Everlasting father is a trusting father. And when you think about this, I want you to think about what God did when he came down as Christ, is that he entrusted himself to, Jer to Joseph and to Mary. He entrusted himself to them. He said, here I am. I'm going to allow myself to be in your family. Well, first to Mary in her womb. Then he said, I'm going to entrust myself to you. I'm going to allow you to raise me. This is, this is God, God Almighty. Was, was trusting himself to this young family. I mean, they were rookie parents, right out of the gate, no kids yet, okay? First kid's practice kid, right? No. <laughs> I'm not a firstborn, but no. <laughs> no, but I mean, literally, I mean, we learn to parent as we go, right? It's like they didn't have the training classes and were like perfect parents. They were imperfect parents that God entrusted himself to in Jesus. Think about that. They were imperfect parents that God entrusted with Jesus and then as Jesus grew he was trusting himself to people all the time to the disciples he was saying I'm going to trust myself to you. I'm going to give myself to you and even allow you to live with me to live in me even though you're not perfect I'm going to trust myself to you and he then even in, entrusted himself to hands that would put him on a cross he trusted himself to men who would take his life but yet he said no one takes my life from me I'd lay it down but he entrusted himself to hands that would put him on a cross knowing that even his death was for them. Knowing that those who crucified him were the very ones, some of the very ones that he was dying for because he died for all of mankind. But God entrusts himself to us. But it's not just in the Christmas story where Jesus is, is being entrusted, that God is entrusting himself to Mary and Joseph. It's to you and to me. And God trusts himself to us. And the fact that he he even desires, it's not that he allows, he desires to be entrusted to come in to us, to come into you. And even as Jesus lived inside of Mary, he wants to live inside of us. Even as she carried him about, he entrusts himself to us 
that we would carry him about. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, this passage is so powerful. It says that for God who said light shines, who said let light shine out of darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure, Jesus Christ, in jars of clay, these vessels. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. So you may ask the question, would God trust me? Would everlasting Father, would everlasting Father, Father who trusts, would he trust me? The answer is absolutely. He desires, he desires the opportunity to trust himself to you. He desires to, entr to trust himself to me. So when we look in the manger, we peer over the edge, and we see everlasting Father, we see a trusting father. And as you see a trusting father, I challenge you, trust him. Trust him. Because as he entrusts himself to us, we're imperfect too. You know, even as Mary and Joseph, we can do our best, but we're going to fall short of perfection. He's not asking for perfection. He's asking for opportunity. He's asking for a vessel that he can dwell in. And as he trusts himself to me, I trust him to do the work that I can't do. I trust him to create holiness in me. I trust him to, to create the, the humility and the love, the peace, the joy, all that he, all that he is. He trusts himself to, to me. I just need to trust myself back to him. And he's faithful to accomplish all that he desires to do. So the very last thing is that as we share this and we look at everlasting father, and we see that he is a humble father, a holy father, a trusting father, Will you make that statement that Jesus is my everlasting father? Will you declare that Jesus is my everlasting father? He's desiring for that very thing, to be everlasting father to you, to lift you up and to carry you, to protect you, to give you guidance, to, to lead you in the direction that is best. So to the extent that we've seen Jesus for who he really is, we've seen the father. To the extent that we've heard the words of Jesus, we've heard the Father speak. To the, to the extent that we've seen the works of Jesus, we've seen the Father working. But then as we respond, according to our revelation, according to our perception, then is our response and reaction. So as we allow God to live in us more fully, when people see us, may they see the Father. When they hear our words, may they hear the words of the Father. When they see our actions, may they see the Father working. So this everlasting Father we're talking about gives us hope hope has a name his name is jesus his name is everlasting father so something that i've learned from doing funerals it's like how does that fit in here it's exactly where we need to be i'm telling you i've done i've walked alongside of many families many that are even in here and there are many funerals that i've done that i didn't know the person but i learn about them i get to know them and i, I want to know everything i can and even during services, I, I, I learned more about the person who was gone. But it really struck me so strongly just recently. I was at a funeral, and I had learned much about this person. And, but even as people were sharing, it's like I was learning more. It's like, I wish I could have known them. 
Like I know them, I'm learning more about them. I, I wish I could have really known them. So there's a difference between knowing about and knowing. And as much as I longed to know them, the opportunity wasn't there, they were gone. So I can know about them but not know them. But you need to know, we need to know that God wants us to know about him, yes. But more than that, he wants us to know him. And he is fully available now and for every breath that we have, that we can embrace him, and that we can know him personally. That he can be our everlasting father. He desires that. He desires that. He longs for it. So this season, Father's been especially special to me. Um, and when I was um, given this opportunity to speak on Everlasting Father, God has just like been doing all kinds of things in my life. Because Father has a lot, is speaking a lot to me this season. So I said in nine days, um, it's Christmas. In six days, this dad's going to be giving his daughter away right in this area and wedding. So... glad you're excited about that no no <laughs> I am I'm looking forward to it but but it's like dad doesn't know what he's going to be feeling I don't know what I mean I we're so excited God we know that God's all over it you know we know that this is the right next step for Allison and for Chris and and but but dad's heart is she's my daughter my heart after his heart says yes I'm going to trust her and that I can give her away, and I can trust God and, and Allison, I can trust God and Chris. You know, when she was a baby, we dedicated her to the Lord, and she said, she's not, not ours, God, she's yours. And then God handed her back to us and said, okay, now raise her in the way that I have, have her to go. This is different. It's now saying, Mark, she, she has been yours, but now you're giving her to Chris. So this is stirring a lot of father things for me because God is entrusting. He's trusting, and I want to be like God. I want to trust her into Chris's hands. And... and I get to trust Chris. I'm getting a son-in-law out of this, you know. So, so our family's growing. I'm so thankful that that you know. In fact, first service, Chris cheered. I'm glad he's happy about it too. But, um, but you know, I mean, it's, it's about learning Father's heart more and walking in His way. And we have an 18-year-old son, Joshua, that I have the privilege to be a father of. And uh, Joshua has no idea the extent that I learned about Father through my son. Father just wants to reveal himself to us constantly. December 31st, the end of this month, will be my dad's 80th birthday. But he's been with Father since he was 59. So I've trusted my father into his care and just ask, Daddy, Father God, just reveal yourself to me. God, speak to me. Let me become more like you. I had a father that pointed me toward you. Good but not perfect. God, let me see you. God, let me see you, everlasting Father. So what does Father God, does everlasting Father want to speak to your heart? What does he want to do in you, in you this season? He wants you to see that he is, he is humble Father. He wants you to see that he is holy Father. He wants to see that, you, that he is trusting Father, but not just to know it, know of him or about him, but to know him. So we're going to be singing um, as a closing song. We're going to be singing Good, Good Father. And as we do, I just want to encourage you to just place yourself before him and allow him to speak to your heart. Allow his hand to rest upon you. Allow him to literally hold your heart. And let him speak to you whatever he desires to. He is a good father. And he's desiring to reveal to you through the infant Jesus 
what an incredible, everlasting father he is to lead you to the place where who he is as father leads you and guides you and builds you and who he would have you to be as, as his child. Now, would you bow your heads with me? God, we thank you so much for you. God, you've given your word. You've given yourself. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is comforter and counselor. Thank you, mighty God, that you are here. Thank you, Father, that you are everlasting Father, and Jesus, that you are Prince of Peace. God, we just want to marvel. God, we commit this season to marvel at the beauty of who you are, of how you've revealed yourself as an infant, and how you grew and how you gave yourself as the perfect sacrifice for our sin, and how you live now and you intercede for us even now. You're praying for us right now in perfection. So God, we uh, desire to embrace you as everlasting Father. Jesus, we desire to learn more of you, to draw, draw closer to you, that you would be seen in and through us in greater and deeper ways. In all things, we desire that you would be glorified. So continue, God, to speak to our hearts. Help us to see you more clearly and respond accordingly. We love you and we thank you for your bountiful, matchless love for us. In Jesus' name. I'm going to invite you through this song. If you would like to stand and worship, you can. If you would like to stay seated, prayer team is going to be up here. And if you would like somebody to pray for you, we invite you to come. But just receive this gift, Jesus, everlasting Father, good, good Father.
perfect in all of his ways. Through this Christmas season, I just want to continue to encourage you. Look into that manger. See infant Jesus. See everlasting Father. He loves you with a love that goes beyond all measure. He's always there for you, and he's always desiring to just dwell and to live in you, through you, and among us. So continue to seek him as you go. Uh, look to him as everlasting Father. If you would like prayer again, uh, you're more than welcome to come forward. We'd love to pray with you. God bless you, and just continue to celebrate this season. Celebrate him.